All right. Welcome one. Welcome all. Welcome to another episode of Fan Team Radio. I am your host, Shyam Khan, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Odi Odorizzi. Chris, what's up? Hey, Shyam. It's man, Silverstone. Uh, love this track. Uh, great race. Uh, one of the races that I desperately want to go to in the future. Such a great track. Such such prestige in the British community. First Grand Prix was in 1950. Um, 52 laps. It's a length of 5.8 kilometers or 3.66 miles. And uh, just give a little shout out to my boy, Max Verstappen, who has the track record. So, but yeah, man, what a great race. Uh, did you like it? Yeah, man, it was, uh, they broke the record for attendees uh, this year, 480,000. Seems like a lot of people gravitated towards this race. I wonder why with, you know. Uh, so many Brits in the grid uh, representing. So uh, really great to see. Great atmosphere. The weather wasn't too so many. Of a... So many. Was it Brits or B Pitts? LOL. Brad Pitt was uh, in the uh, There's uh, I mean, uh, like a thousand uh, ladies there just to see Mr. Pitt at the track. So yeah, and probably more than that, guys, to see Mr. Pitt. That man oh. is 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 just all around awesome. Yeah, lo- love him. Actually, we just watched Babylon the other day. What a great film, but a little crazy. I don't know if you've seen it, but um. Also, I saw Shakira in the crowd again. It's the third time she's been at the track lately. Uh, yeah, who's she seeing? <laughs> I don't know. She's probably making uh, her her own, uh, you know, buy-in for for owning a team. Uh, yeah, or dating Mr. Hamilton, possibly, maybe rumors, but yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, back to the race. It was crazy race. Uh, thoughts on it? Yeah. So, I mean, obvious. Let's let's call a spade a spade here. McLaren uh, upgrades are looking quite nice. Uh, this was uh week over week, so it gives them a little bit of credence. Uh, now that they have it, uh, you know, last week was it just for Lando, and then this week is for Oscar and for Lando. You saw exactly how they use their cars. Uh, so yeah, let's dissect that into into that a little bit more. What were your first thoughts on McLaren, Chris? Yeah, McLaren. Like uh, this is like I think the second or third week in a row where I wish Q one in qualifying was Q three just because it was uh, the insanity of the track evolution. I think Norris would have been on pole if Q1 had been Q3. And, um, but yeah, the McLaren pace just sort of really has sort of taken me by surprise. Who knows? You just had to add a little chrome to the car and it starts going faster, which Norris has been asking for for years. Change the livery, make it chrome again. And so, yeah, I don't know what magic that they're pulling at the factory. I don't know if they've had this in the plan for a long time. I don't know if it's been slight tweaks that they've done but whatever they're doing seems to be working. Um, and just like I mentioned last week, it was either last week or the week before, but uh, all these other teams seem to be progressing a lot. And uh, it makes me worried for teams like Aston. But yeah, McLaren today came right out of the gate. Lando and Oscar straight off the line. I don't know whether Max got a bad start or whether their start was just fantastic, but the performance of the car looks spectacular from the moment the lights went out. Yeah, so a couple of things here. So great off the line for both of them. Um, and, and even more impressive is in the ensuing laps, they kept the same pace. So if you don't, if you remember, uh, I, I, this was probably the second race of the year where Max caught himself sandwiched in between the Mercedes. And I had mentioned how the Mercedes, if they could use that as a tactic, they could potentially, you know, have a decent, you know, a gap between Red Bull as opposed to letting them run away. Same thing kind of applied here today. You know, I think Max had a decent uh, start off the line, but I think Lando and Oscar were able to position themselves on the inside of that first turn so well in in in, in, in it had a similar effect to what Mercedes did uh, earlier this year on Red Bull. So, you know, Max overtakes Norris with DSR, which, you know, we expect it to happen. It happened in, you know, in, in lap five. Uh, so for, for five laps, you know, Lando was able to keep a significant, uh, you know, lead in, you know, in respects to how, whatever that means in this in this season uh, for Max, <laughs> um, you know, and then the gap between Piastri and Claire for third was was way higher than the DRS range, uh, uh, you know, you know, allowed for. So it shows that McLaren's pace to Red Bull was, you know, not on pa- or or, the, or the exactly the same, but that McLaren had a much more, uh, a much faster car than Ferrari did going into this race. So, um, 
by lap 13, uh, Norris was still only three seconds behind Max. So it's hard to tell if it's just because Max wanted to kind of conserve his tires. But that delta didn't really go up a whole lot. So, you know, it shows signs of promise for McLaren that they're reaching uh, a pace that's far more, you know, consistent with, with Mercedes. I think I think if you were to ask me, Mercedes and McLaren probably were on similar standings in terms of pace. Uh, you know, Mercedes obviously had a tough qualifying, which kind of started them in, in, a, in a tougher position uh, in the starting uh, grid. So that that probably kind of led to the, you know, George not and also George had a tough race as well. So, you know, I think they're both on par with each other. I think what you mentioned about them being uh, a little bit ahead of Aston Martin right now, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But uh, that definitely was, you know, we could, we could we could see that on the grid today. Uh, by lap 40, Max had the fastest lap uh, and Hamilton almost tried to overtake Norris, but couldn't pull it off. And and then you know Russell uh uh commented on on how impressive they are. So you know both Mercedes drivers kind of nodded their hats towards McLaren today. Uh, so under the hood, uh, this is from ESPN reporting. So Andrea Stella, you know he he points to the in- inspiration of the new body updates was from Red Bull, right? Uh, he right. even said that um the the photos from Monaco from the undercarriage of the Red Bull of Checo's car contributed a lot to you know their own design and and you know uh where they might have been missing something, right? And he and he and he was transparent about it. It seemed like it's just a part of the culture, you know, borrowing, taking photos, like it's just how teams kind of reach that parity gap. Um, but he also tipped his hat to uh Peter. Drummo, uh, he's a leading aerodynamic developer at McLaren. Said, uh, you know, he's doing an exceptional job in terms of setting the conceptual direction, but also having organized and having inspired the entire aerodynamic team. So, whatever Peter's doing over there has been working well. And the quick turnaround, um, you know, it's scary to see as a Mercedes fan, but it's exciting to see as an F1 fan overall in terms of the competitiveness at the front of the grid. Um, so you know it's 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 something that uh that is promising for mclaren uh the one thing i will say though for norris today he had two track violations uh towards the end of the race he was in jeopardy if lewis could have probably pushed him a little bit further in the last six to seven laps and made him mess up he would have gotten a third track violation and would have you know been off podium so that was the only kind of red flag uh sort of say in in the race today for piastri and norris but other than that they you know they stuck it really well um did you did you did you have any reservations about mclaren's race today anything that you saw that wasn't you know uh up to par no i mean i actually think that they played it really well like go back to sort of their their first few laps um uh, i have like a stupid conspiracy theory that max is really good friends with Norris, and so he kind of kept him in DRS to kind of pull him along a little bit. But I don't want to take anything away from them because I think they actually did uh, improve their car significantly in Norris and Piastri, and I think Piastri is the real deal. Um, both of them are stellar drivers. But I think that they played it really well because I think that they were able to sort of stay within that DRS range of each other and of Max and the first opening laps, which held, which let them sort of escape the pack because once they got out of DRS range of, you know, Max's car is already a rocket ship. So if they're like being pulled along by Max in like this like DRS drift, then they're being basically pulled away from the rest of the pack, which I think ultimately was smart. They, the uh, McLaren didn't let or didn't, they, they, they told Norris that Piastri wasn't going to attack him. They were going to keep the position and just sort of play it as is. And I think that was super smart for them. Um, my biggest, and we could talk more. <clears throat> when we get into the safety car bit, but I think the only blunder I have about Mercedes or McLaren was the decision to put them on the hard tires. Um, That gave them an unnecessary quarrel against Mercedes at the end uh, that fortunately they were able to sort of hold them off. But it was one of those things where we had, we had just seen George do what 31 laps on softs, which is 29. Yeah, but the, they were two lap old softs from qualifying. And so there was actually two extra laps on those tires because they weren't brand new at the start of the race. 
And so, yeah, he did 29 in race laps, but 31 total, which was like kind of mind boggling because I actually rewatched the footage of him pitting and his tires did not look destroyed. They looked clean. And I was kind of confused by that just because I was like, <laughs> he could have done the whole race on softs essentially. So, but after McLaren sees that, I don't understand why they wouldn't, you know, put him on softs for the last like whatever 15 laps, whatever it was to go yeah norris had mentioned like in lap 39 um when they fitted hamilton with used soft tires and he was on new hards he was like hey is this what we're doing right now you know and like almost you know norris did have a bit of a, a snark to him with his engineers yeah. uh, throughout the race and that's just kind of how he is as a as a driver i guess um but he he mentioned it you know like hey why why are we on hards but i will say the hards fared well better for them than they did ferrari today um ferrari tried the same tactic towards the end and they just their car is slower uh it just kind of showed that you know even though mclaren like had to kind of get those hards up to you know get 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 heat in tires right before and i think the last like 11 laps or so they were able to keep pace you know piastri should have kept uh you know he he lost unfortunately lost a position in that in that safety car uh snafu but um but they were able to keep pace. They were able to kind of, you know, Lando was able to hold uh, Hamilton off. And um, I think, do you ever think that maybe they're just getting too good too quick and the engineers just need to get used to how to become a really good team? Uh, actually, I had a, that, that was actually a main thought I had I was about to bring up was that sometimes I feel like these backmarker teams or the midfield teams they're not used to being at the front and making front runner decisions. And like, it sounds weird because all these people are like top in class, best of the best. These are the guys that like they're making F1 cars. Like it's, it's like rocket science, but so, but the engineers coming over the radio twice to Norris asking him, you know, how many laps could you do on this tire? And it's like, I don't know. You tell me, (laughs) you can see the degradation. You can see, the track data you can see every other car's data why are you not telling me how many laps i could do on this tire like it was so weird to hear them asking him twice and norris both times kind of giving him a snarky response like i don't know it feels like, good to me like, what do you want from me yeah like, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, like I, I'm, I'm keeping pace i'm doing what it is you tell me so that was kind of like it's one of those situations that they're sort of like not too worried about it in other races because it's like you're going to finish eighth or 10th or out of the points. And you're not really thinking about that. Now you're like, Holy shit, we have to maintain second and third place for this race. How like all of a sudden we need engineers to sit there and think about what are all these details that are going to keep us to do it. And I think ultimately that might be why they went on the hard tire versus the soft is because they were like the hard safe. We know it's there. We know it's a new tire, not a used tire. And we know it can perform. So let's just throw you on the safe bet. Um, and ultimately the safety car uh, was a lot longer than a lot of people expected. So there was a lot less laps to actually do at race pace. Um, but I think that McLaren might've lucked out. I mean, not lucked out, but the DRS not being active for those first two laps of a restart after a safety car, you know, allowed them to, to warm up those tires and get them in the zone where they could, they could race against the softs. But it was definitely close, and ultimately, I think Lewis probably could have passed Norris if he had like stuck it a little harder. But maybe flashbacks of taking Max out in a cop's corner, like he pulled out a little bit because it was close in that one corner, and he pulled out. And I thought maybe he could have stuck it, but um, who knows? Maybe Norris could have gotten him back with the RS because um, their car seemed to be a rocket ship. And you know, kudos to them for putting together what hopefully for the rest of the season is going to be a huge shakeup and uh, see them on the podium some more. Yeah. Just babies of the brainchild. That is Adrian Newing. Yep. Um, so let's talk about a team that is kind of going on the downturn. Unfortunately, Aston Martin's initial pace uh, has now been met by McLaren, obviously and Mercedes. Uh, and there's a chance that they've used a decent amount of their budget already in the first quarter of the season. Um, they had upgrades to their car for the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, you know, Mike Crack mentioning that hard tire performance was significantly better than than the soft tire performance. 
Um, but but even today, you know, Alonso is only able to defend his P7 position, although I thought he did a great job at defending that. As, you know, he had a whole train of cars behind him trying to overtake. Uh, and I think Perez was the only one that was able to successfully do it. Gassi was like, I think, 0.5 seconds behind him for almost like, you know, two thirds of the race. Um, and then, you know, baby stroll got got p14 and and he knocked uh gassy you know out of track limits to 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 do it so uh what are your thoughts on aston martin do you think this is a team that maybe jump i don't have a good rated g uh metaphor for this but (laughs) do you think they blew their load too quick or do you think that it's a combination of that and maybe McLaren and Mercedes using their budgets to, you know, progress, you know, conservatively over the course of the season, as opposed to front ending it with a whole lot of development. Like what are your thoughts on, on Aston Martin right now? Listen, this is going to be probably a very uneducated guess, but my opinion is that Red Bull racing built the absolute perfect car that you could build at the beginning of the season. And it's led them to pure domination to where at this point they don't need to develop the car. And I think Aston Martin did almost that at the beginning of the season. I think that they built a very good car that was an above and beyond the rest. And all of a sudden you went from them last year, just in nowhere land to Alonso being on the podium every week and just sort of, and that was almost a definitive, like it was expected. Alonso was on the team radio every week saying what a lovely car this is to drive, how fast it is, competing like crazy. And I think other teams were basically scrambling, how do we copy Red Bull? How do we make our car faster? And I think Aston Martin maybe was focusing on next year's car potentially a little bit more because they felt like they had a little bit of this in the bag. But I think other teams probably put a lot, I think Aston, like you said, maybe put a lot of budget into the beginning of the year and didn't have enough. And other teams are sort of developed a car and had the opportunity to sort of, like you said, McLaren mimic Red Bull a little bit, figure out new designs and improve. And Aston is now at that stage where they're like, shit, we need to do that. So now they're going to go back to the drawing board. The problem is going to be, do you put that budget into this year's car? Do you put it into next year's car? And, um, but yeah, I think, and we'll talk a little bit about Stroll, but that guy confuses the hell out of me. One weekend, we're like, oh, my God, that guy just had hand surgery and fucking, you know, put it to the max. And then the next week, he's just bumping guys off the track. Although I think if you rewatch, it might have been a little bit more on Gasly. But ultimately, Stroll still has a lot of yeah, issues. Space. And Stroll has space in that in that turn to, to give Gasly room to be in the outside of that turn. Uh, I, but he I, chose to 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 uh, to overcut and then kind of pull him out. I need I need to rewatch it again. Uh, but I I saw multiple people talking about how Gasly essentially turned into him um, when he didn't have to. But I, I have to go rewatch it again. Either way, Stroll has had an awareness problem for a very long time, and he's definitely not on par with Alonso. I mean, uh, Fernando what qualified P nine, finished P seven. Stroll qualified P12 and finished P14. Like, there's obviously a huge gap in performance. And, um, yeah, I think Aston Martin's going to have a lot of troubles, both keeping uh, Alonso in the top three of drivers and keeping, you know, Aston Martin in the top three of constructors. I think they're going to keep going backwards um, for the time being. Yeah, especially with the, with the, I guess their only saving grace right now is Alpine's uh, demise, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But yeah, I think uh, Aston Martin, um, you know, again, uh, you know, they hold their budgets close to their heart. So, I, I, if anything, I would assume is that they put a lot of development into that front end of the year, and and as you mentioned, kind of rested on their laurels once they saw the first few races and the success there, but the what they i guess discounted was other teams like mclaren and mercedes uh really you know developing in season in a way that takes into consideration a 20 plus race season right we're almost halfway through and you know if all of your development was in the first couple of races of the season now there's you know room for 
Mercedes and McLaren to 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 just kind of overtake in development in in very similar ways as they do on track. So, um, yeah, I think Aston Martin. I look, I would love to see them make another adjustment in um in season uh and 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 get them up to being you know competitive uh with with McLaren. Uh, this just kind of goes to say that Lance Stroll probably not the right guy for the job, especially if he's kind of qualifying outside of P10, but then also finishing outside of P10 as well. Uh, so a lot of things for, for Aston Martin to consider going into uh, the second half of this season. Uh, let's, let's, let's pivot a little bit to our winners this, this week. There's a couple of them. So we'd love to hear who your winners are. And if you could start with Max Verstappen and kind of just in the scope of, of other racers that have been winning consecutive races, where would you put this, Chris? I mean, Max is on the cusp here of making history and I think he knows it. And, um, but he seems pretty calm, cool, collected. I mean, he's, uh, at this race, he's, he became the fifth driver to win six consecutive races. Uh, you know, other, other famous races like Schumacher, Vettel and Rosberg have done this, but surprisingly, Hamilton's actually never done that, which is kind of mind-blowing to me considering how dominant he is and how people have talked about his domination. He's never won more than five in a row. Um, That just blew my mind. But, you know, Verstappen's on a run here to, you know, take Vettel's record of nine and the only one to be at nine. Ascari, Schumacher, and Rosberg have seven. Um, So one more win. And I think it's incredibly doable. I mean... Uh, Max has won Hungary before. I think Spa is going to be an easy win for Red Bull. Um, and I forget the the track in between, but I, I, I definitely, or yeah, Zandvoort, uh, which Max has won back to back. So I think there's a huge chance for Max to tie and then potentially beat the record coming back off the summer break, you know, barring any kind of reliability issues. Uh, I don't think people are going to progress their cars past Red Bull in the next three races. So but yeah, he's he's on the hot streak. I kind of want to see him break records. Although I love you know Seb, so kind of like to have him hold records too. So, but yeah, Max is on the tear, and uh, it's just quite impressive what they're doing, especially given Checo's performance in comparison, because Checo has been in nowhere land. I think it's the fifth race in a row he has not made Q three, and just kind of moving up the pack. That's not what a Red Bull driver should be doing. So whatever Max is doing is just pure perfection. Yeah. You know, he's having as close to a perfect season as, as you, you can have even the nooks and crannies, you know, uh, in, in setting the fastest laps per race. And, you know, it's, 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 it's great to see uh, as a Mercedes fan, it's tough to see, but you know, I'll take greatness as it comes, just like I did with LeBron, just like I did with Tom Brady. <laughs> I mean, uh, Mercedes you know, has 203 constructor points and they're in second place. Max has 255 on his own, which is just ridiculous. It's, you know, it, it's, it, like, it's an engineering, it's an engineering <laughs> sport and, and yeah. I'll, I'll just wait to see what kind of engineering these other teams are able to do to get anywhere close to um to Red Bull and especially going into next season right like I uh, now that all these teams are kind of copying essentially the 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 playbook right it's essentially Red Bull has the playbook um and how do you optimize your cars to fit that? You know, uh, a big thing that Mike Crack did mention in that in that article uh, leading up to the Canadian GP and their and their upgrades there is that, you know, even if you emulate certain parts of the Red Bull car or whatever car is the most successful that year, you have to take into consideration that your own car is optimized for your own design. So to change just the body of it isn't going to fix the trick right you have to change the body while taking into consideration other pieces uh of your structure like your your chassis your wheels like like your your um like your your undercarriage your floor like all of that has to be orchestrated in a way 
that is optimized for that body. If you put the Red Bull body just by itself on an Alpine right now, I it's probably going to suffer in in performance. So, for, for you know, a lot of things for them to consider right there uh, going into next year. And, and by them, I mean, you know, teams that are emulating Red Bull and actually have, you know, a good runway to, to get to success. Uh, you know, I'd be curious to see what 2024, 2025 looks like before the 2026 shifts again, just to see now that there's a blueprint for what's good, great looks like if other teams are going to be able to copy that over the course of, you know, the second half of this season off season, and then going into next season. So uh, winners this week, Chris, who do you got? Yeah. I mean, besides Max, like obviously it's McLaren um, qualifying P2, P3, and then, you know, keeping that pretty dominant throughout the entire race. You know, unfortunately Piastri lost out on the safety car shambles, which, uh, I was actually not expecting a safety car in this race, um, even though uh, Julian Palmer, I think it was prior to the race, said that Silverstone has a 90% <laughs> safety car uh, happening rate, which is like kind of mind boggling. But, um, you know, the race seemed pretty like spread out, pretty even, wasn't a lot going on. There wasn't a lot of like crazy battles for once the pack got settled. So I was sort of expecting once the pit stops happened to sort of flow to the end but you know we have very what seems to be unreliable ferrari engines in the haas because uh you know haas has had issues with this so is alfa romeo and so unfortunately you know the car blew up stuck on track and it kind of screwed over uh piastri hamilton got sort of the better end of that um but you know either way p4 as a rookie in your 10th race in f1 and knowing that you would have been on the podium, you know, barring some shenanigans, and then Norris putting it up on the podium, holding his position, having a great fight with um, with Max and with Hamilton, like he belongs up there. So yeah, great performance from McLaren today. And then I also have, you know, Mercedes because I, I, where did uh, Lewis start? I think it was like P seven. Yeah, P seven. Like yeah. taking taking P seven to a podium finish is fantastic yeah, he and like, he, lo- he lost to several positions off the start he didn't have a great start i think he went down to like p9 and then climbed his way back up yeah like just just super happy like uh, watching lewis celebrate on the podium especially with you know his fellow brit and uh you know just being up there like seeing how happy he was with his family his brother was there his mom and dad and i was just like He's having the time of his life. Also, um, I think that was Lewis's 11th straight Silverstone podium, which was also kind of mind-boggling. A lot of cool stats being put up <laughs> at this track. 14 total for him. Um, but yeah, just happy to see him back up on the podium. So I think, you know, besides Max, which is just going to sort of be in the definitive winner's column for the rest of the year, most likely, it's just, you know, McLaren Mercedes. What a great showing by both of them today. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the why the queen rest her soul knighted my boy. Uh, he is the only knighted um, race car driver on the track. So, uh, you know, it just makes sense that he's a dominant, as dominant as he is at Silverstone. Uh, my winners of the week, of course, McLaren. Uh, the only thing I would say is I just need to see it week over week, right? To to right. really uh, feel comfortable and, and, and fortified that, that this is, this is who they are. And that, you know, this isn't a fluke, um, but you know, fluke or not, this week was stellar for them. Great, great in qualifying car looks super st- sturdy. It looks strong um, and it looked reliable. It looked like it could do well on whatever kind of set of, car, uh, you know, tires you put on it, which is a, which is a great sign for them. Um, I, I'm going to go on to saying Williams is another winner for this week. You know, Alex Albon came in at P8, such a strong race, you know, just that that race for P10 through P7 right behind Alonso was super tight and he made the most out of it. He got, uh, you know, they had a really decent pit stop uh, for both him and, and Logan Sargent. So, you know, Logan coming in at P11, you know, just outside of points. Uh, but if if 
we were talking about ranking rookies after this week. It would probably be Oscar Piastri a lot further ahead. And then right after him would be Logan Sargent. You know, there is some sort of incremental, you know, progressiveness that he's taking. And then all the way at the end, I put, you know, Nick DeVries. So, um, <laughs> so Williams, I, I, you know, being a British team, you know, Albon being, you know, a, a Thai Brit, uh it, it was just great to see right and and he's keeping in points love to see that from williams and then my third winner for the week is just the british fans and 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 britain at large you know they had four four brits in the top 10 uh two in the top three you know as a fan if if we had four american racers uh, win chris and we were at coda while this happened the crowds would go nuts like yep. people would start fighting like just how <laughs> americans do you know Shoot, like, shooting, their, shooting their guns in the air yeah like that that's how we show our love for, for our fellow <laughs> for our fellow countrymen you know yeah um so so thank god that didn't happen in america because that would have been dangerous but you know in britain you know it probably wasn't as dangerous so, um, so i want to bring up a uh, uh for about williams yeah um i i was slightly disappointed um just because in FP1, FP2, and FP3. I don't know if you saw that, but like Logan and Alex were both topping the time charts. Yeah. Like putting it up there. And once uh once quality started, they weren't as dominant. And I think that had a lot to do with the rain, the changing conditions, uh, temperatures, or just other teams maybe figuring things out. But I was kind of hoping to see, you know, like a a random you know, front row star from Alex Albon and like a Logan Sargent in the second or third row. Um, but yeah, ultimately, like I said, uh, like you said, Alex Albon was just, you know, dominant performance, like the way he was like passing, uh, you know, signs on track and things like that. Like it was such a great performance by him. Random thing about him that I learned. I don't know if you saw the interview with him post race, but or post quality he was giving an interview on like, we're like sitting outside the paddock and someone was like, are you injured? And his back was, uh, there's blood all over the back of his shirt. And he's like, Oh, is there? And he's like, yeah. He's like, he goes every single time that I drive in the car quality, he goes every single race, the G forces that I experience rip my skin open every single time. And I was like, Holy F that is awful. And he's like, yeah, if I took off my shirt and I showed you my back, it's just like cuts and blisters and bruises from the G-forces. He says that my back rips open every race. It heals just in time for the following week. And I was like, my God, this guy, man. Yeah. I was just some, you need to put some Ben Gay on that. I, I was like, can someone like get some lotion or something to get this man so my, my man chafing and going through g-force like someone give him some like alka-seltzer like like give him something like he you know that that's crazy i didn't know about that that's yeah i when i first heard that i was like someone get this man out of the sport or something because that's <laughs> seems real dangerous and i was like i wonder if any other drivers go through this but yeah like he's always smiling he's always happy he's always dedicated and he's like determined to be one of the best on the grid even if he has to do it to williams and i respect the guy so much more than i ever did before and knowing he goes through that is just kind of mind-boggling so yeah, more... he's, he's even keeled as hell he would i you know helmet marco said that he signed through 2025 so they probably don't have a shot at him but helmet marco is also probably trying to pull some sort of strings to get that man back into the Red Bull family. I actually don't know if he would go, even if he was offered. Um, I don't think so either. Yeah, honestly, I don't think so either. I think he he has a certain kind of like moral compass that that maybe not maybe that's not the right way to put it, but I think he remembers how that experience went and exactly how he was let go of that team. But listen, um, like we'll we'll get to Ferrari in a second. But look at where Ferrari has been in the Schumacher days and the days prior. Dominic, now where are they? And I think this sport has ebbs and flows, uh, which has you know shown through the test of time. McLaren's been dominant. Then they were, you know, Daniel Ricciardo and Lando in the back of the pack every week. 
And I think Aston Martin and now McLaren have given people that hope and that spark that like, hey, maybe Williams will be a front runner team in a year or two. Um, you know, they have a new team principal who was one of the most important people at Mercedes during the dominant generations. And it's like you you might have that magic coming back and it sort of seems like the sparks are forming. So, you know, it always chasing the top versus being someone who's going to be at the top later might be a better play. And I think you might see that. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a chance to talk about a team that is not instilling any kind of hope in people. <laughs> Alpine. So Ocon out in lap 10. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what happened to his car. I think it was an engine failure. And then Gasly out in lap 46. Gasly actually had a really good competitive race going on. Only about point five to point six seconds behind Alonso through probably like the the second quarter of that entire race. Uh, got hit by my by you know our 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 best friend Lance Stroll. Got and, strolled. Yeah, he got strolled. You know, he got he got he got strolled right out of uh the track. Um, and then you know Stroll incurred uh I think uh damage to his front side and and that was it for him. I mean, he uh, also got like a five second penalty, which, like, from my understanding in previous years, like five years ago would have been like. A ten grid like ten grid penalty in the following race, and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, what does five seconds have any kind of what kind of penalty is that for taking somebody out of a race, and you're already out of the points? Like, it does nothing. So yeah, like I can't. I don't know if you remember, but like in 2020 or 2021, like there was all sorts of penalty. Like when Botas went bowling in Hungary, he got like grid spot drops for the following race. I think a couple yeah, of times with Clark got a couple of grid spot drops and like it just doesn't seem like they almost they almost took Gasly out of an entire race. Yeah. B- because he incurred so many penalties. That was the year that Danny Rick won a uh, uh Monza, right? Yeah. And I just like I feel like they're being kind of like a little too nice to like you're taking somebody out of a race who's having a decent race. Like Yeah, the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. No, I thought I had a similar feeling as well. Because, I mean, I, I honestly thought Gazi was going to get in the P9, P8 area and stick right behind uh, Alonzo. He was having a great risk. He was fucking pissed when he uh, when uh, Stroll came in and, and kind of nudged him out. I think he I think it happened twice uh, to, to Gazi throughout the race. And the second time around, he he got nicked by, you know, by Stroll and, and, and it affected his car. But either way, you know, Alpine, just the worst outcome that you could think of. Both cars, DNF, um, Haas, uh, you know, Magnuson's out in lap 33 due to, a po- I think the power unit that they were using was an old power unit and it just let out. Yeah, it went, then, to, the, it went to the end of its life. <laughs> yeah, which makes no sense to me. I mean, you can't be that strong on your budgets to where you can't have a new power it. Uh, Whatever the case is, Magnuson's out in lap 33, DNFs. Um, uh, Hulkenberg has a semi-good race, but, you know, he is also pushed out by, I believe he's pushed out by Nick DeVries uh, in lap eight. And Nick gets a five-second penalty, just to your point. Like, you know, it. Hulkenberg was out 23 seconds after coming back in the pits after that. The, he, you know, he had to make up a lot of spots to to kind of get, I think, where did he end up finishing? Are you you talking Uh, about the front wing thing? uh, For Hulkenberg, yeah. Yeah, he ended up finishing 13, and he, yeah, DeVries hit him on in lap eight. Pretty sure it was Sergio. (laughs) No, 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 it was was Nick DeVries. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then he... Yeah, he incurred a five-second penalty for that as well. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, so, so Hulkenberg was already out uh, to to the pits within the first 10 laps causing him to you know and Haas's pit stops aren't really the fastest in the world so I think it was like a 16 17 second pit stop by the time he came out he was 22 seconds behind the last person um, luckily he was able to make it up but yeah Haas this week just didn't have it going on for them um, well, I'm sure you have a lot to say about Ferrari. I think, you know, specifically Signs had a really bad luck for going on hards. Uh, 
you know, and, and, and not being able to take full advantage of that yellow flag and the safety car. I have no idea what Ferrari was thinking, putting both their drivers on hards when they clearly saw, you know, the softs was serving uh, uh, George and the mediums would have probably been able to, Actually, they, they would have been able to execute a two stopper. Um, yeah. What were you saying? But I think, I think Leclerc was on mediums at the end, if I remember correctly. And Sainz had a moment. So what happened was is the VSC came out and they pitted under VSC, which, by the way, I don't think it should have ever been a VSC, um, where the car was on track, on fire. Like, you're going to have to get a tractor in there, get a crane. So I think they just need to snap safety cars so people know exactly what they're dealing with for these pit stops. But Sainz went on to hards. Um, thinking, yeah, Leclerc Leclerc went on to hards in lap 19 and then I think went to mediums, uh, during the oh, gotcha, the 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 yellow, yeah, during the yellow flag. Uh, but they, but by that time, they had enough, like Ferrari strategists and engineers had enough time to see how the softs, mediums, and hards were affecting everyone on the grid, and they saw everyone going on to either softs or mediums. They saw Russell do 29 laps on track. And, and and keep keep and be faster than them essentially so why would you then put signs on hards to finish yeah, the race it, that mind it, boggled me and then once uh, I, we once we went from vsc to safety car i don't know if you remember this but signs like got into like a little debate with his engineer and was like should i plan pit? yeah what, they were I like what's again? they're like hey do you remember plan four and he's like no i yeah. don't remember plan four when <laughs> what happened to plan two and three yeah He's like, and then the guy was like, I'll, I don't know. I'll tell you later. And then, but yeah, no, like science basically let the engineer make the decision about whether he would pit again. Cause if he pit again, he loses more track positions by getting on the softs or the mediums. And ultimately they decided to keep him out of hearts, but it, yeah, like, I don't know what's going on with Ferrari. They're, <clears throat> you know, they're my hot seat for this week. Like Ferrari is a mess. Like, they they would they started the race fourth and fifth and end the race in freaking ninth and tenth. Like yeah. Th- that's you know it's unexcusable. You know, we have Piastri inexcusable. We have Piastri and McLaren starting the race in third and ending in fourth. Like it's not just the VSC or the safety cars screwing these guys. The strategists, everything that they're doing just sort of seems to be incoherent. Uh also Leclerc and science seem to be at butts with each other. I don't know if you saw this, but during quality, like they have an order to themselves and they decide that order week by week. And Leclerc was supposed to be in front every week and signs kept bitching about it on team radio. And so signs had to move over and let Leclerc get ahead in the pit lane. And signs is like, why are you making me do this? Like, oh, this, yeah. ru- this ruins my tires. And then signs in the little kerfuffle right at the end of one of the qualifying sessions passed Charles uh, right before the start line and Charles got on the team radio and was like, Oh, nice move. Ch- nice moves. Carlos like overtaking yeah. me in the last turn. Like they obviously don't get along, which if you're not going to like, you need that team camaraderie to like do something like Norris and Piastri did today where they work so well together. And if you're, if you're butting heads with the engineers, you're butting heads with your team and you're butting heads with your teammate, like unless you're in a Red Bull and you're Max Verstappen, you're not going to win races. So Again, I, I I saw that, and I think they, I think they tried their best for because they're they're only human, right? At a certain yeah. point, when the team is so frustrating, like, and you're naturally like competing with your with your teammate, you know, by and large, that's gonna seep down in the ugliest ways. And then now, like, your teammates are like you're the worst case scenario where your team, like, where your your I guess like your your star players are like fighting each other. You know, is that happened to Kobe and Shaq and you know how that turned out, you know, rest in peace, Kobe. Uh, but you just can't have two dying stars, like just near each other. Right. Like it's a goddamn black hole. Uh, yep. So, so Ferrari, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I think they might just need two Italian drivers so they could just speak in Italian the entire time. <laughs> and, and maybe there's something, maybe something's lost in translation, right? Like, I don't, I have no idea like what it is. Like they have all the infrastructure that they need. They have like two like fast drivers, 
they just can't seem to get it together. And it's, it, I'm going to chalk it up to miscommunication and language barrier at this point. I'm also uh, going to go ahead and say that Fred Vasseur was not the answer. And he's had plenty of time to make some changes. Not much has changed. And, you know, we called it at the beginning of the season, you know, Alfa Romeo was a nowhere team. And you got your team principal who did nothing with that team except, you know, bring Valtteri Bottas on, who I guess has checked out of the sport. And now, uh, there, again, there's nothing changing at Ferrari. There's no positive progress being made, seemingly. So, um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know. I Did you see the the picture of Toto Wolf talking with Charles uh, in the pit lane? or in the in the paddock and i was like what are they talking about and everyone was like commenting like toto was saying don't sign your extension buddy (laughs) 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 we'll find you another home like you know uh did you see did you see we have brad pitt here yeah i'm sure he was like we're doing this entire movie to get you to come over here to our paddock and talk to us and talk to brad and you know, it's a, I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing Charles in, in uh, a Mercedes, but I just don't ever want to see Lewis Hamilton leave the sport. Um, another, and you, you mentioned this on my hot seat this week, it's, it's, it's Ferrari, but also Checo, you know, another week of underqualifying or underperforming in quality and then making this, you know, having to scrap his way, through to the front i chronicled his uh race again and it was it was definitely less impressive than last week uh because he didn't finish in you know anywhere near podium uh and and i i'm starting to feel like doing poorly in qualifying and then scrapping your way through positions in in the actual race is just is becoming less and less impressive um what are your thoughts on Perez? Do you see a future with him still here? What do you think there's a second, you know, uh, driver that could come in and kind of give him some, some, some scare. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Checo, this might be his last year. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, after he won Monaco last year, he got a two year extension, I believe to his contract, but we've already seen with guys like Danny Rick, uh, your contract doesn't mean much, especially with a guy like Helmut Marco who pulls all the strings in the world. So, um, yeah, I think if this continues for Checo, um, the chemistry is not there. The team dynamic is not there. Max, um, I, I think he's fine with Checo sometimes as a human being, but I don't think he particularly likes Checo as a teammate. Every time that he gets brought up to max that he's just like, I could kind of do this on my own. I don't really, because they, someone asked him about the constructor championship and they're like, are you worried about Sergio not performing? And max is like, I could do this by myself. It's fine. <laughs> like, you know, that's yeah. not something it's, you it's want. It's not like he has saving. Lance Stroll on his team. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I check has been super unimpressive. Um, and it's only really good when max has a bad weekend. Um, so, yeah, I think I think if there's an opportunity for someone like a Leclerc or someone like a Signs who want to get out of their current position, because I don't think Red Bull's just going to pick up anybody. But if yeah. they have the opportunity to get a good a good number two driver in that seat, I think that they will overcheck him. Yeah, I just don't think they'll open up that D two spot to a developing driver. Uh, I don't think they'll give it to Yuki. Uh, I don't, I think the train has kind of passed for Danny Rick uh, for, for that seat uh, as, as, you know, as, as, as optimistic as you want to be, I think, you know, Danny Rick is kind of a little bit too old for that seat. And there's been a couple of years where he's hasn't been fully driving an F1 car. So I think uh, just kind of knowing the Red Bull uh, kind of business structure, they're probably going to want to go for safe uh, over experimental, uh, but that leaves Nick DeVries. Yeah. Just, just put him in a seat. <laughs> yeah. You know, Christian Horner actually admitted or, or Helen Marco admitted to him and Christian Horner disagreeing on bringing on Nick DeVries in the first place. Apparently Christian wasn't a big fan and 
say what you will about Christian. And I have said a lot about Christian Horner. That man is astute as fuck when it comes to picking talent and like understanding like where actual growth is going to be and, and what to put his attention on. And, you know, I'm starting to believe him more and more. So I'd be curious to see who he's eyeballing. I know that Alex was one person that he was sweet talking, but you know, again, I like to, to, to your point earlier, I don't know if he's going to want to even go back into the Red Bull family. Um, so someone like a Carlos Sainz, you know, he he was in the Red Bull family for a little while. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see him make a full roundabout. I think, you know, it'd be a less contentious uh, relationship with him going to Red Bull um, than it is with him at Ferrari right now. Um, and, you know, silly season's coming up. So we'll, we'll, hold, we'll have an episode for that, but uh, just, just, fun to toss around in your head yep let's talk off track for a little bit chris so the 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 brad pitt movie is gonna be you know all 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 around town and you know coming from the industry and and our beloved caa this (laughs) is probably this is probably packaged by caa given um you know brad pitt's uh, you know acting in it Dams and Idris is in it. Uh, and then it's going to be produced by Jerry Brockheimer with uh, Hamilton serving as a producer. You excited for this, Chris? I don't know. That's that's my answer. Cause I'm kind of right there with you. There's, uh, I don't, did you watch the, the interview clip with Martin Brundle and Brad Pitt? Um, yeah. Yeah. Brad Pitt actually kind of gave a lot about the plot away. Um, he basically told the whole story, which is like, uh you know brad pitts uh you know an older driver who got into some sort of accident um which took him out of the sport and he started racing in some other disciplines and then this new team uh basically has a backmarker team they've never scored a point and i think the team principal is uh javier bardem or i i think is this who's playing it but then they basically get the new rookie. Uh, I forget his name. You mentioned Damson Idris, and yeah. they they basically ask his old buddy, who is Brad Pitt, who used to race, you know, to come and sort of like mentor and be that guy. And I really hope that because like it's like the way we know the, the way F one works, you can't just take a Williams and put Max Verstappen in like you know the Nikita Mazepin's Haas, and all of a sudden you're winning championships. It just doesn't work like that. So I really hope they keep it within the realm of possibility. I don't. I hope they don't take a backmarker car that's never made a point and get this like retired driver come in and just destroy the championship. Um. So I'm I'm a, I'm a little worried that they're going to Hollywood it a bit too much. I think with Lewis being a part of it, they might not. Um, and it seems to have a little bit of parallels with Lewis's, uh, you know, you know, a young, hot rookie. Uh, who's going to be played by Damson and just like hopefully I think it's going to mirror a little bit of Lewis's life so hopefully there's a little bit of realism but the other thing I'm worried about is that they filmed at Silverstone this weekend which is full of F1 cars and they're going to do a lot of F1 shots but the car that they're driving is an F2 car so it's going to but they made it look like an F1 car does it you know (laughs) I mean people people have people thought people I mean the 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 major consensus is that it looks cool like the car looks cool that their, it does. their outfit that their outfit looks cool and you know i'm sure they're not about to shell out an f1 car that's worth multi-million dollars to like just do these like shots you know they're probably gonna get a couple hundred thousand dollars get like an f2 car retrofitted to look like an f1 car and no one knows the difference i'm curious if they plan on filming at more races throughout the rest of this year because I think you know, that is the plan. Yeah, I was gonna say like how much, how much footage can you get from like one installation lap around the track with other maybe, cars? Maybe we'll see them at a at Coda. Maybe we will. That's a okay. that's exciting. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's super formulaic. I think that's exactly what it'll be. It'll be like a Gridiron Gangs or a Coach Carter or like you know like a hey, coach. You know, I'm a young an up and coming rock star, but I need guidance, you know, I need guidance from the best. And then 
you know, the old guy comes off of his like retirement, you know, like the longest yard kind of shit. Hey man, I have a guilty so, pleasure. I, guilty I love pleasure those movie. kinds of I love I, those kinds of movies. You know day, exactly what to expect. Days of Thunder, man. You yeah. know, the the old, you know, the young rookie Tom Cruise comes in and then they go get the super old retired ex racer coach to come teach him how to race like and you know then he wins the championship or whatever and it's like it's super it's a classic for, it's a classic for a reason yeah it's a so. classic and, it, and it's produced by jerry bruckheimer so you know what you're getting yeah you know so when you put it through that perspective probably going to be a, a decent movie if you're trying to like get like an art house like you know, no art like Darren Aronofsky thing going. Probably not so much. So, hey, listen, g- give yeah. me the basic plot. Give give me the st- the stereotypical run of the mill. You know, that come swelling in, save the orchestral. Day. Yeah, yeah, like like give score me that. that comes in. The only thing I ask is A- an absent father. Yeah, make make the race believable, and I'll be happy. Yeah, and then make sure Javier Bardem gets a lot of screen time because as soon as that happens, it's probably going to be an Oscar contender. Yeah, 100%. that man is that man is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's all we have for this week, Chris. Uh, Hungary is going to be the next race, going to be on July twenty third, uh, with qualifying the 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 days before. Who who are you predicting to win? Uh, I mean, there's no way that I'm ever betting against Max this year. It doesn't matter what the race is. Uh, until we see a blunder or his car blow up, uh, I think Max is going to win the rest of them. He's just a robot. Um, and then, you know, uh, I think Mercedes is on the up and up. Uh, and I want to put Lewis up there, but I'm going to go ahead and put George because George did have a really good race today. And he was another sort of like uh, casualty of maybe the VSC and, you know, a little bit of and Lewis got the benefit of that. So I'll put George and then I'm going to go ahead and cross my fingers and say that McLaren has figured out this recipe and they're going to put Norris back on the podium for, you know, a second time this year. So Max George and, and Lando. Yeah. I, um, you know, I won't disagree with you about Max. I think he's just going to take a run away with this, get a seventh win in a row. Um, I am going to be optimistic about Carlos Sainz. I am really hoping one of the drivers for Ferrari just says, Hey, I am not going to listen to you guys anymore. I am going to pretend to listen to you guys and go on my own tire strategy. And I'm just going to trust myself and do it. And whenever you try to communicate anything on the radio, I'm going to ignore you. (laughs) I'm really hoping that because that honestly seems like what's going to the driver's intuition is going to be way better for for them, I think, now than than the engineers are. I think they they distrust their engineers and their strategists. And I'm really hoping one of them and I'm thinking it's going to be signs before Leclerc. I think he's less of a company man to just go wild card and and just and just do the damn thing. Could you imagine if the the way Ferrari would look if Carlos at the beginning of the race just said, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you what I'm pitting. I'm going to tell you what tires and I'm just going to come in the pit box. And he did all that. He called all the shots from the car. And he, like, and he got P10. He, he got P10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like nothing changes. It would be, it'd be kind of funny, but yeah, yeah like if he, if he did that in podiums, like how bad Ferrari would look, but uh, yeah, I could definitely I'm agreeing with you that I definitely could see signs making his own decisions. And uh, but, yeah, hopefully, like you said, he ends up on the podium next week. Yeah, I mean, I felt bad for the guy. <laughs> like, it, I just don't understand hard tie. I don't. So I got Mac, Carlos and Hamilton. I think Hamilton uh, has found a good stride, uh, really tough. Uh, not a tough drive, but really strong drive from him today. I think he was nipping at the the back ends of Norris, and you know the McLaren had a lot of speed today. But we'll we'll see. I I'm I still want to see if it's a week over week thing or if it was just like a flash in the pan for them. Uh, but yeah, that'll be my top three: Max, Carlos, and Hamilton. Yeah, definitely excited for it. Um, hopefully it's a little little wet. We could see some more Bottas bowling, although he won't be at the front of the pack to take him out, but. Um, yeah, Hungary should be a good race. It's another good track. Um, and you know, that, that run up to turn one potential for some chaos, which we haven't seen 
much of this year, but you know, maybe somebody will take Max out and we'll have a big shuffle. But uh, yeah, definitely excited for it. Uh, good race this week. Unfortunately, we have another week off, but uh, hungry. We'll be back talking about uh, the race, and I'll, I'll, we'll see where all these upgrades for all these teams put them. See where Aston, McLaren, and Mercedes end up, and if anybody can finally take it to Red Bull. Yeah, uh, highly doubted, but I always love seeing the back of the pack nowadays more than I do the front of the pack. So I'd love to see what kind of turmoil uh, these uh, these Alpatories and Alpha Romeos get into and <laughs> then how Williams kind of skirt around them. So w- more to come. Um, it, was, it was great watching this week with you, Chris. Uh, any last thoughts on who is going to be the losers for next week in Hungary? I mean, I think Ferrari is going to continue their bad strategy, especially in a race like Hungary. Um, Say Nick DeVries. I mean, I think Nick DeVries is is out of the seat. In a couple I, of I totally agree with you, Chris. We'll talk more about that in, yeah. <laughs> after Hungary. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, until then, have a good night, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening. Yeah.